Anyways, God is good. Isn't it just a beautiful day out there? You know what's always intriguing, intrigues me, is when the sun shines, people play. And we don't have as many in our services when it's a beautiful sunny weekend, especially the early spring ones. It's kind of like Canadians, especially BC people, aren't used to the sun that much. But I want you to know, God is good and the sun is good. S-O-N. Amen. <laughs> and you and I, through the sun, S-O-N, his death and resurrection, let you and I become sons and daughters. Amen. Sons and daughters, so the S-U-N can shine from us to the people around us. Amen? That's what it's about. So God is so good. I, um, I've been in a process of walking through the nine Beatitudes, and I love the, that we say B-attitude. So in all my notes, it's not one word, it's two words. That when Jesus was teaching his disciples, he was teaching them about be this attitude. But he had to teach it from a life of testimony. So if you really study the Beatitudes, I would actually venture out to say that Jesus was literally asking them to do what he is. That he actually could preach and teach this Nine Beatitudes with an authority because it came from his powerful testimony. It came from his life, his lifestyle, his choice. And you say, well, hold it. No, Jesus is Jesus. He's the son of God. He could have never failed. I beg to differ. He actually could have failed no different than Adam and Eve could have failed, and they did. But Jesus had to come the Lord had to come as a man, a human with all the human emotions attached to it. And he had to study the word in his life as we know he did. He would have known and memorized the whole Torah by 12 years old. That was just what they did. And he was caught what left in the temple for three days teaching the leaders about the word. And he knew the word, his father's word, not just what he heard in heaven, but what he saw his father do. He heard what his father speaks. He spoke what, his father, what he heard his father say. And he did what he saw his father do. Amen? So Jesus came to this earth to be the life of a testimony for the rest of mankind. But you know, he also came to show the life of a true testimony to the devil and the fallen angels. He came to show them that the devil might have persuaded or put thoughts into a mind in the garden, but he's no longer listening to the things of the devil. We know that 40 days in fasting in the desert, and the devil tempted him with everything he could. And I will guarantee you, that Jesus passed every test with flying colors. Remember that old expression? I don't even know where it came from. Oh, yeah, flying colors. When you won, flags would fly, colorful flags. He passed the test. And you know what? Flags did fly. It's called a flag of victory on this earth. Every, I guarantee you, when 40 days of fasting in the desert, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the desert. 
so he could be tempted with the maximum ability of the devil. But how many of you know Jesus? I just, I think he's perfect theology, to be honest with you. I just think he's a lifestyle that I want to live like. He's a testimony who defeated everything that came against him. He even defeated death. <laughs> Why? So you and I could defeat death. Why did he defeat the devil? So you and I could defeat every attack against us. Doesn't mean the enemy's not going to attack. It just means that you've already defeated him through the resurrected Christ. Oh, that devil attacks. He woke me up in the middle of the night. I had like a migraine headache this morning for hours. And I'm like, are you serious, devil? You're actually telling me that today's going to be an amazing day. Oh, maybe I should phone my job and phone in sick today. <laughs> Take a sick day. I'm not taking no sick day and preaching. Are you kidding me? Wheel me in in a wheelchair. Wheel me in in a bed. Wheel me in in whatever you want. Put chairs on the platform. Do whatever you need. But I am called to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I will not let anything that that enemy tries to get in my way. Period. You know what? I don't feel a headache at all right now. So just to let you know, worship, it just went away. You enter his presence, and there is no effect of the earthly realm that will follow you into his presence. It's just the way it is. And so here Jesus is teaching his disciples about, he's basically saying, be this attitudes. Nine of them. I'm going to give you these attitudes. And you're going to have to go back into the messages online and Windward TV to get the earlier ones if you haven't listened to them. Beatitude 1 was a self-minded poverty. Matthew 5, 3 says, and this is where we're speaking from in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We are to live in a self-minded poverty. Not poverty, not a mindset of poverty, but self-minded poverty. In other words, my way needs to become poor. My answers need to become poverty. And his way becomes the riches of my life. So we need to have a self-minded poverty. Not that, oh, look at me. Pride is the opposite to self-minded poverty. We're to live with self-minded poverty. In other words, self-attitude is to be poor. Your attitude, be poor. Your personal attitude. I do, not, you understand, not the, attitude of pop, not the attitude mindset of poverty. You're not poverty. You say, well, hold on, I, I don't have a whole lot of money. What does, money doesn't make you poverty that I'm talking about. It's not the, the poverty Jesus was talking about here. Your bank account does not justify your poorness. It does in the physical realm, but it does never justify it in the supernatural realm. Your identity or lack of it will justify your poorness. And if you have lack of identity, you're going to be poor, but the wrong poor in spirit. Because then you're going to let the identity that you think you aren't or that someone says that you are, which is wrong, come in and take over. And that's wrong. 
I can do, I cannot do it on my own, but because of God, because of Jesus, because of Holy Spirit, I can do it. I can do all things through Christ Jesus, but I can't do it on my own. This is the poor in spirit we're talking about. Poor in self-spirit brings us into the riches of God's kingdom. And this is the first attitudes towards true happiness, as it says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What he's saying is, you poor in spirit, you mourn your sin. In other words, you mourn it to death so you can live life in his kingdom. Amen? Second, uh, uh, the second beatitude uh, is Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The mourning that Jesus is talking about is not the mourning of a new day. Uh, you get it, mourning. It's spelt different, I think. No, it's actually not. And it's not talking about the mourning of a death or a loved one, even though you can apply it that way 100%. It talks both sides, okay? So when he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, yes, if you are going through a difficult season and you mourn the true word to mourning, he gives you strength to overcome it. But he doesn't give you strength to stay in the morning. That makes sense? If you live a life of mourning, sadness, sorrow, that is not the purpose of Jesus Christ. His purpose, one of his purposes is to walk you out of the life of mourning. But many people literally live in an attitude of mourning because of self-pity, and that is not the mourning we're talking about. It's not poor me, no. It's not self-pity, no. Or the bitter cry of a victim even. That's not the actual mourning he's talking about. It's the mourning of the culprit, the mourning of the guilty. You know what? The sin that used to be in me is mourning. And any enemy attack around me is mourning because they lost me. And I got saved, I found him. My bad attitude is living in mourning. I am mourning that attitude so I no longer will live in it. I will find the victory in Jesus Christ and come out of an attitude of self-pity and move into the attitude of victory. See, you can't live in self-pity and live in victory at the same time. Mourning is a recognition of our offenses before a loving and holy God. It's recognizing I made mistakes. You know how hard that is for type A personalities to admit they actually made a mistake? Or what is those new personality tests we all uh, took, our family took? What is it? Ideogram? Idiotgram? Idiogram? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Please, I didn't say that, did I? 2 Corinthians 7.10, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. You live in the sorrow of the world, you die. You'll die internally. Hear what I'm saying? You get so wrapped up and concerned of all the issues and problems that are going on, it depresses you and you start to live in depression, then you're living in the sorrow of the world and it produces death. When you hear a problem in the world and you feel it in your heart and you've got counsel providing this, then you are a, the person that's going to start the process of changing the problems of this world. That's what we do. We bring light into the world, but we don't live in the depression or sorrow of the world. Does that make sense? Beatitude three, 
is the attitude of meekness, Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. To be meek is to be humble. This is the word, to be humble, submitted, gentle, yet strong. I, I refer it to like a racehorse in the pasture, but on race day with a bridle on, it's time. A racehorse in a pasture? Pasture? Oh, sometimes they, in a pasture. Yeah, that's about right. Racehorse in a pasture. Sometimes, you ever seen high-spirited horses? They're not all high-spirited all the time, but they can turn it on like that. And they munch and they chew the grass. And then once in a while, that stallion will just, well, probably because it hears a mare or sees something else coming along the next field, and it is gone like a rocket down the fence line. And it's kicking and jumping full speed. But it's not that way all the time because it actually would kill itself. This is what the true word of blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Know when you need to be meek in the time of resting, but also let that meekness be bridled strength. In other words, a racehorse does not produce its fastest ability without a bridle on. The racehorses that the jockey falls off, they run along usually near the back of the pack, but they usually never, ever win the race as soon as the jockey falls off. Why? Because we're not to be out there unbridled. We need to have mothers and fathers and family speaking into us so we can go farther, not so they can condemn us. That's not mothering and fathering of truth. But so we can do this together. One puts to flight 1,000, but two put to flight 10,000. One of the greatest things that's created disunity in the church, not alone in the family, disunity in the church, bases out of these beatitudes. The individual became prideful and they had to only, he's the only one that hears from God. How many of you know, don't put your hand up. How many of you know someone that hears from God and God alone? Because it might be I'm speaking to you. And you have no one to help bridle and make you run faster. Beatitude 4 was an attitude that hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. You feeling empty? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. I guarantee you, it's a promise of God that if you hunger and thirst, it doesn't mean you have to know it exactly, but that you hunger, you come to his banqueting table, you come into his presence on a regular daily basis, you come into his word, you hunger for righteousness, you will be filled. It's a promise. It's an absolute of scripture. It's not a if or maybe, it's a promise. When Jesus was speaking about righteousness here, he was not referring to moral goodness and religious law keeping. It wasn't about religious law keeping. It's not about, I don't sin because my Bible tells me not to. I won't do this because my church tells me I can't. It's not religious law keeping that Jesus was talking about because religious law keeping does not bring you a fullness of righteousness. That was the righteousness and the way the righteousness of the Pharisees were leading the church by religious law keeping. 
Listen to what I'm saying. And again, if you want the full preaches of these, you've got to go back and pull them off from our website, windward.ca. Jesus called us to be filled with a righteousness that is not tied to our understanding of right and wrong. It's not tied to my understanding of right and wrong. Righteousness is not us trying our hardest to be better. I tried that. I tried not to sin. And I kept getting frustrated. And I would promise God I'm not going to do it again in the very next week. Oh, God, forgive me. I felt like I needed to go into Old Covenant law and cut one of my hands off. So righteousness is not us trying our hardest to be better. Righteousness is not being hungry and thirsty to be in right relationship. Righteousness is being hungry and thirsty to be in right relationship with God and with man. Righteousness is not me trying to follow law. Righteousness is about me having such a deep hunger and intimacy with my Father that I actually don't need a law because the law is already established in my hunger for Him. Because his way is my way. And when my way is his way and his way is my way, I actually don't sin. Do you hear what I'm saying? I'll tell you, to stop a sinful nature in your life is not easy to do by choosing you don't want to do it anymore. I will guarantee the way to truly stop a sinful nature of sin in your life is by going after the one who has no sin. And hang in with that person and be guilty by association with him. You hear what I'm saying? How many people have been caught doing something they really didn't want to do just because they were guilty by their friend's association with them? And you know what? I want to be guilty by association with God. And if this country changes its laws so violently that when I preach the word of God, I go to jail, then I'm guilty of the laws of this land. But I am not guilty of my father's house and my father's heart. But listen, righteousness is being hungry and thirsty to be in right relationship with God and with man. It doesn't mean agreement to the rules of man, but it means we're not supposed to be breaking them all. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to the Lord What is the Lord's? We are not on earth to offend God. You know, it doesn't help the cause to go and slander the daylights out of the people you're trying to change. That's what I'm talking about. Righteous behavior in the eyes of God and man. It does not help me or help the cause to go on Facebook or social media and slander someone publicly that needs help. Righteousness is bringing truth and light, but you don't have to name the individual. You just have to bring truth and light to it. And really, if it's truly your duty, get wise counsel and go and meet with them with a team and talk with them personally. But this whole thing on social, everyone has their opinion. And it's one thing social media is a real bummer for. Everyone is the now professional theologian. Oh my goodness, how many of you have read some of the theologies that are coming across social media? Like, know the Bible and know the word. 
and be these nine attitudes. Beatitude five. Mm, before that, on the last beatitude of righteousness. We are not on the earth to offend God, and we are not on the earth to offend man. We are on the earth to bring the kingdom of heaven. And when we bring the kingdom of heaven, that will offend the devil, because that's actually our adversary. It's not man. It's the kingdom of darkness. First, in our own lives, we bring the kingdom of light. And that allows us to bring righteousness to this earth. I'm not saying don't go after the laws that are, that are false or wrong. We have a lot of laws in these countries, the beautiful Canada and America, that are messed up right now. And I thank the Lord that south of our border, the United States of America is finally got a president. You might not like him, but he's got some good values. And I'm looking at the option of Roe versus Wade and all these other issues being overturned uh, where states are actually realizing that you can't kill a baby, especially after it's born, but any time. I'm, I'm pro-life. I just want you to know, if you don't like that, I'm just, it's my Bible, and my Bible tells me so. How you deal with the situations that are in your life as a woman are between you and the Lord, but get wise counsel. Get good counsel. Get good counsel. Because there's an invasion that's taking away free speech, which our nations were built on. And the only ones that are losing it happen to be the Christian people. And we actually have a prime minister. I pray for him daily. But we have a prime minister that doesn't appear to be super happy towards Christian people. I say that because of things he has publicly said about Christians. He publicly said something that disgraced Christians. He said it in the country of Colombia. And now I have to pay a fine as a Canadian to visit my own birth country of Colombia. I have to pay $83 every time I go in. The only country in the world that has to pay money to go into Colombia is a Canadian. You know how abnormal and unusual that is? But he said something so horrific. I'm not going to repeat it, but Google it. Find out. He said something so horrific that slammed Christians. But you know how many Christians are in Colombia? <laughs> oh, Lord, I pray. Wisdom for our government. Whoever is in power, I pray, Lord, wisdom for our government, provincially and federally. We pray for victory in our governments of Canada and America. We thank you, Father, and we pray that both our countries were founded on your word, the word of God, the Bible. And I thank you, Father, that we are from countries that were founded on your word. And I pray that we will be a generation that will carry the foundation of your word into our great nations. Jesus promises that he will fill us with his life, which enables us to live righteousness in every situation. The B attitude five, now I'm coming to preach, okay? That was just a refresher. B attitude five, it's an attitude that shows mercy. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Matthew 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Another promise, not an option, 
Not a maybe, it's an absolute. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Well, what does it mean to obtain mercy? You first need to be shown mercy. Let me tell you, I'm going to explain this. God first showed us mercy so we could obtain mercy. God sent his son Jesus showing us mercy. God shows us mercy through compassion and pardons our sins through his mercy. And Jesus is telling his leadership and all of us uh, that that if we show mercy, we have to obtain mercy to show mercy. We have to receive mercy to show mercy. God shows us mercy as he hears us and forgives us. Even when we have been stubborn and rebellious. How many have ever been stubborn and rebellious? Don't put your hands up. How many are still stubborn and rebellious? Don't put your hands up. Maybe we should. God shows us mercy. Not dependent on your actions or anyone else's actions. He shows us mercy dependent on his choice to show mercy. King David sinned against God. He'd taken, King David had taken another man's wife, and in the process of trying to cover it up, he deceived and plotted the man's death. He wanted the beautiful woman, but she was married. So he sent the husband to war, but the front line war. Come on. He was deceived. David, King David. The psalmist got deceived. And David then cried out because he knew. In Psalms chapter 51, let's turn there. Psalms 51, verses 1 to 3. Psalms 51, starting in verse 1. David cries out, look what it says. A prayer of repentance to the chief musician. A psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone to Bathsheba. He's crying out to Nathan the prophet. He's crying out, show me mercy, God, because he knew that this man, Nathan, was carrying such an understanding of the Father. Verse 1, have mercy upon me, O God. He's crying out to God. Have mercy upon me. It wasn't like, yeah, you know, I kind of messed up, you know, forgive me, thank you, God, and then we continue on. You see, true repentance, crying out for mercy, has to come from deep within, so deep that it becomes everything we are, that we're crying out for this mercy. It can't be ignoring a sin. It can't be doing a sin and not changing. There's no repentance in that. Repentance means change of direction. You can be forgiven through Jesus Christ, but if you don't repent then you haven't changed direction. And I would question at that point in time, are you saved? Well, I prayed the sinner's prayer, uh, you know. Really? How did you pray it? Did you cry it out for mercy? Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. 
According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, verse 2. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge, I acknowledge, I acknowledge my pride. I acknowledge my foolishness. I acknowledge my stubbornness. I acknowledge my bad attitude. I acknowledge that I sinned. It's not what it says. I added. For I, in verse 3, for I acknowledge my transgressions. That word acknowledge is, is, is an explanation of a deep-rooted understanding. I acknowledge to you that this is my wife. It's a covenant made 30-plus years ago. And I acknowledge to all of you that she is my wife till death do us part. And I know she's tried to kill me once in a while. But anyway, I acknowledge it's till death do us part. See, I say that almost every time, and we all laugh still. It's just, we're so, just crazy. You know, it's funny. I even laugh inside because it's not true. I acknowledge that I'm a pastor here at Windward Ministries. I acknowledge to you, which means I need to represent the life of a pastoral leader to you. I acknowledge that this is my daughter, my daughter, my son-in-law, my grandbaby. And so because I acknowledge, I now have made a commitment that I will be a grandfather in right standing of righteousness with him. So David's crying out, and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 3, for I acknowledge my transgressions. That's moving into forgiveness and repentance. And my sin is always before me. He knew that his sin would be in front of him. There was consequences to, not in the eyes of God, but there's still consequences in the eyes of man sometimes. It's a process I've been trying to process and learn and grow on. I'm full-on repentance and restoration person. I have been blessed to be a part of restoring, not a blessing, but fallen pastors and fallen leaders. But I've been blessed to learn and grow through the processes. And you know what? Sometimes and many times, if not every time, I know and have been working with a fallen leader in ministry. They've never been able to come back to the full of everything they had before. Not in the eyes of God, I believe they're even greater in him. But people still hold on. And so I'm reprocessing my theologies a little bit because I'm like, no, the, form, the latter is better than the former. The latter is greater than the former. And I still preach that. But the reality is it doesn't mean that man will forgive everything you did wrong. There are consequences possibly in our lives. And those consequences freak the daylights out of me. It helps me realize this is my wife, my one and only, because I will not suffer the consequences of devastating her, my children, or this family, or the churches of this world for a fleeting moment. Are you kidding me? Rise up, O oh men and women of God. Rise up and be men and be women. 
So we know one way to obtain mercy is through true, heartfelt prayer. Here David is crying out. I will guarantee you, do you hear his heart? Let's read it again. Verse 1 to 3 of Psalms 51. Have mercy upon me, O God. Do you believe it's the true, heartfelt According to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sins. You notice he is admitting that all of these are from him. Not because someone mistreated him. Not because someone said something wrong against him that caused me to sin. For some reason, sometimes we think that gives us the ability and the right. No, David had to take full responsibility. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before me. We need to be, we need to be living and, and live in mercy through true heartfelt prayer. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Hebrews 2, verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood... He himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Verse 15, and release those who through fear of death were all their, sorry, fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Again, it's a clear example that if you fear the wrong Fear the Lord, yes, but fear the enemy, fear death, fear the things of this world is going to subject you to a, a life of bondage. Verse 16, for indeed he, that's Jesus, does not give aid to angels, but he gives aid to the seed of Abraham. How many of you know that we all have come from the seed of Abraham? So let's look at the word aid for a moment. For indeed, Jesus does not give aid. That word is a two-part word. It's epilum banomai. And I love to take the second article out of that word, from that word, which means to rescue one from peril. I love it. For indeed, Jesus gives us rescue from peril. He doesn't rescue the angels. He doesn't need to. They've already made their choice. But he's giving aid, he's rescuing us from peril. Verse 17 then comes. Therefore in, therefore, in all things, he had, Jesus had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Because of his temptations that he never failed, he's able to help us in our temptations so we don't fail. God's a merciful God. God has to show us his mercy, and he chose to show us his mercy. If he didn't show us his mercy, you and I would not be able to obtain the mercy. Understand? If God had not shown and given mercy, he, we couldn't obtain mercy because there'd be no mercy to obtain or receive. Listen to this point. Very, I, I really believe this is revelational for our life. God needed to be merciful by sending his son Jesus to us. God's mercy 
in this, I'm talking about what he did with Jesus. He is always a merciful God. He gave tons of mercy throughout Scripture. And he also gave tons of consequences. But he gave tons of mercy. But in this perspective of Jesus Christ, God needed to be merciful by sending his, his son Jesus Christ to us. Jesus obtained God's mercy so he could hang on the cross. Listen to what I'm saying. Why? Because the mercy that Jesus obtained through his father was not to die on the cross. It was to continue to live, rise again, so you and I could be shown mercy, so you and I could obtain mercy, receive it. So, Jesus, so here we are. Jesus needed to be merciful to us so we could receive or obtain the mercy before Jesus expected us to show mercy. He, he doesn't expect us to show mercy if we haven't received and obtained the mercy. This is what the Beatitudes talk, the Beatitude 5 is talking about. Jesus was an example of God's mercy for Jesus to live, and Jesus' death was him showing us how to have mercy. Jesus' resurrection was the act of obedience from Jesus living in God's mercy. Are we following this? God's, you're all looking at me. It's a, it's a warm, sunny day outside. We call it deer in the headlights. God was showing us mercy. God's mercy showed Adam and Eve the door out of the garden because of sin. Because sin can't coexist in his presence in the garden. God gave mercy to Adam and Eve by showing them the doorway. You say, well, hold it. They, they were cursed. Oh, no. He first showed mercy that he didn't kill them or wipe them out. Then he gave mercy for the old covenant to be established so his presence could go with them. But there was rules and laws attached to the old covenant presence of God in the Ark of Covenant. That it's not good even if you think that thing's fallen off the Ark. Don't go reach up and grab it. There's very strict guidelines if you don't like the word rules. But then... God shows us mercy on a, on, a, on a massively large scale and sends his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, if you think about it, he had to choose to leave heaven and be born under the law of sickness, sin, and death and to be born under the law of old covenant. He, he's not in old covenant. He is in the covenant with God. And through God's mercy and Jesus receiving, he comes into this earth. He's born as a man. And in that mercy, he hangs on a cross. And in that mercy, God at any moment could have wiped out the world to save his son. But no. Mercy goes beyond individualism. Mercy is about corporate. And God's mercy was about the corporate family. 
that he was going to give opportunity for every human being to come back into relationship with him again. But it took death to break a covenant. It took blood to break a covenant. And so if we look at this, Jesus lived in God's mercy on this earth. He accepted, he obtained uh, his mercy. It didn't mean his sufferings went away. It didn't mean trials and tribulations went away. When we obtain the mercy of God, what it means is we now have victory over how we respond to the trials and tribulations. Jesus hung on that cross by the mercy of God and by his choice to obtain mercy. And because of his obedience, he rose again by the obedience of obtaining mercy. And now he's teaching us. He's teaching us. that we need to obtain mercy. Jesus passed to us God's mercy. And Jesus' mercy passed to us. If you think about it. All mercy comes from God. I'm not talking about when we're kids and we're playing a wrestling match. Mercy, mercy! Tap out, I tap out! No. All mercy, true mercy, has originated from the creator of all things. His mercy, through his son's mercy, his son obtaining the mercy through his son arising, resurrecting in mercy allows you and me to obtain God's mercy. Why? So you and I can rise again in our life and show mercy so the people around us can obtain God's mercy. Pass it on. That's what it is. Receive it, pass it on. But in mercy, when you obtain the mercy, you receive the mercy of Jesus. You receive the mercy of God. You receive the mercy of the Holy Spirit. And when you receive it like that, when you pass it on, you receive more. And the more you pass it on, the more you receive it. The more you show mercy, the more you receive. You cannot expect mercy unless you receive mercy to show mercy. But at the same time, true mercy is given when it's not expected by the receiver. You and I can't live a life expecting mercy. But at the same time, God gave us mercy even though we haven't justified the reasoning why in our own life. Jesus showed mercy to people, compassion and mercy to individuals that were not expecting it. How could he do that? Because he was already living in the mercies of God. 
How could he raise the widow of Nain's dead son, her last final son? And she had already lost her husband. And a funeral procession is coming out of the gates of Nain. Complete sadness and depression. The priest would have been leading the way in sadness and depression. The law would have stated that anyone who touched a dead body or a coffin of the dead had to spend seven days outside of the temple. That's the rabbinical law. It was the law of the Pharisees. And here comes Jesus, and who knows how many of his followers? Thousands, maybe? Hundreds? I don't know. Here comes this procession leaving the gates of the city of Nain. Complete sadness and sorrow. Completely, this woman had lost hope. No more men in her life to carry on, to provide for her. And off in the distance, they hear something. And here comes Jesus making their way towards the city of Nain. And the followers had just seen miracle healings, all sorts of incredible things. And the followers are, hallelujah, hallelujah. And they're on their way. And here's this whole group rejoicing and rejoicing into the city. They're going to the temple to bring the joy of the Lord. They're going into the city to bring the testimony of Jesus Christ, to bring the testimony even the Beatitudes. And as they get close to the funeral procession, out of respect, they would have started to quiet down. Quiet down. Move to the side. And the funeral procession would have made way on the road. But Jesus didn't follow righteousness by law. followed righteousness from his father. And he had already experienced the mercy of his father. Not on the cross yet, but in his walk of life. And so he walked over Jesus and he walks over to the coffin and he lays his hands touches it. And all of his followers would have said, no, we're on our way to the temple. Seven days, we're going to have to wait in the city of Nain now and not go to the temple. What are you doing? But Jesus doesn't listen to the laws of man. He listens to the laws of his father. And his kingdom was coming and his will was going to be done. And he puts his hand on the coffin and the coffin would have stopped, the procession would have stopped because he saw this woman of tears and pain and suffering. And who knows what she would have thought? Why are we stopping? Who is this man? Does he not know we're, we're burying my last and only son? in the same field that we buried my husband? 
Who is he? Does he not know? What? Why is he touching the coffin? Who knows what she was saying? I have no idea. But I know one thing. Jesus said, Young man, arise. And this lady might have been thinking, and the priests are, who is this guy? We're going to keep our eyes on you, sir. And the widow's sobbing. Let's keep going. I can't bear this anymore. What does he mean? Young man, arise. What does he mean? My son is dead. Doesn't he know? He stinks already. And this man arises and he sees, the first thing he sees is the face of Jesus with compassion and mercy on him. I don't know if the young man went, Wow, what an experience. Or, ah, I feel the Spirit. I don't know what. Maybe, oh, oh my. Maybe he said something, maybe he didn't, but either way, whatever happened, Jesus says, go. It's your mother. And all of a sudden, that woman, maybe her head was down in mourning and tears and a veil over her. And all of a sudden, she might have heard a familiar voice. <gasps> Is that my son? Is that my son? That's, it's a miracle. That's my son. And they would have run to each other. They would embrace. Because the righteousness of the kingdom of heaven at hand, it brings light and transforms light, darkness into light. The joy of the Lord will not be silenced by the issues and problems of this world. And you and I are called to live in righteousness. We're called to live in obtaining his mercy. So we bring light to the brokenhearted. Not me. I bring his light the wounded you and I we bring his light into the darkness of depression to turn it to joy let's all stand mercy is not an attitude of receiving not as a believer as a believer Mercy is an attitude of giving. Don't cry out for us to show you mercy. First, receive mercy from God, and you start showing mercy. I tell you what, it's easy, a lot easier for me to show mercy to someone who is showing mercy to others than it is for someone who shows no mercy to somebody else and asks me to show mercy to them. Yeah, you know what my mercy is to you? Obtain mercy yourself through God. We must have an attitude of mercy, not for financial gain, but for relationship. Why? Because you can't have proper family without obtaining mercy from God and showing mercy to your family. This is a family.
We must forgive if we are to be forgiven. True happiness is found when we have an attitude of mercy, showing compassion to others and forgiving people when they might not deserve it. That's called mercy. Listen to that. How could we show mercy right now? Obtain mercy from him. And through obtaining his mercy in us, forgive someone who has hurt you, who doesn't deserve the mercy. Because you know what? God gave us his mercy before you and I deserved it. Jesus Christ gave us his mercy before you and I deserved it. Mercy, one of the great ways we can show it is forgive that person first that hurts you. And how do we do that? Through obtaining the mercy of God. I just feel in my spirit right now that his mercy is in this house. His mercy is in this place. And I feel in my spirit blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. The Father I forgive even the words that people have spoken against me, against my family, against this family, against the ministries of Windward. I forgive them in Jesus' name. I will not hold judgment on them. Doesn't mean I come into agreement with them, but I forgive them through the mercy that you have forgiven me, Father. Jesus. I forgive them. of God and his son Jesus if that's you I'm going to ask you to be bold and step out and come up front here if someone has hurt you somehow or another something in life has hurt you Maybe you've felt hurt by God and you need to cry out and obtain his mercy today. Some of you have been defiled, maybe abused. But you know what? Some of you might not, and I'm speaking to the camera right now too, but in here as well, some of you might not be able to forgive the words of a bad husband, ex-husband abuse of an uncle or relationship 
Some of you might not even be able to forgive the abuse of a church or a leadership team that you felt. And there's a lot of people outside these doors that aren't living in obtaining mercy first. And they hold the bad attitude right to the grave. I want to tell you what. One of the most liberating things I've been able to be a part of in my own life was learning how to forgive someone that was unforgivable in my mind's eye. But knowing that in my father's eyes, he was already forgiven. Again, I'm not talking about stepping into agreement with a perpetrator. I'm not talking about stepping into agreement with someone who has sinned against you. What I'm talking about is the mercy of God who gave you and me mercy through his son, who gave you and me mercy of his father before you and I were ready. And I give mercy to all the false accusers. I give mercy to everyone who hates me and dislikes me, but I won't give mercy to the devil. He's just a rotten, stinking devil, and his demons have lost, and they're losers. But I give mercy to humans. That's not easy for me, I'll tell you what. The hardest part of ministry has been what people think or say that I am when it's false. If it was true, it's easy for me to walk into forgiveness and restoration of my own life. But when it's false, it's a judge on my character. And that's a hard thing for me, in me, that someone goes after my character. And all the enemies out there listening right now, they already know. Go after his character, you're going to aggravate him. Well, no, actually, I forgive you now. I forgive you in advance. And I'm going to ask God to have mercy on you because he showed mercy to me. I'm going to ask the band to come up if they're here. Are they here? clock struck 12. As the band's getting ready, I just feel like something danceable, upbeat. A song of victory, upbeat, danceable. I say this for a reason, because we're going to pray right now. Everyone who's here, everyone who didn't want to be up front, there's still mercy on Everyone watching on TV, there's mercy on you even though you're not here. Just receive. Father, I pray right now, my own life, I'm speaking to me. And I pray for everyone standing here. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. I thank you, Father, for boldness to be able to stand up front. And I thank you, Father, that you honor and respect boldness out of mercy. 
And I pray, Father, that every one of us a door called liberty in the spirit I can see it right now and Jesus is between us and the door and he's holding his hand on the doorknob and he said are you ready this is your day of liberty this is a day of freedom this is a day to be set free from the pains of the past the hurts. I even see addictions released in Jesus' name. And he says, come follow me. I'm going to make you fishermen in liberty, says the Lord. And as we rejoice and praise him, he opens the door and we follow him and walk with him through the door of freedom. I want you to know right now freedom is by your choice not by your actions listen to what I'm saying freedom is by your choice because Jesus Christ already gave us the freedom you can act free without having freedom true freedom is by choice you hear what I'm saying I'm free free indeed that's what my word says the Bible the Word of God. I am free in these. So I'm going to ask you. Be free. I guess that's not a question, is it? But the reality it is. Do you feel freedom? Are you ready to experience freedom? Well, I already am free. No, there's freer indeed than what we have been. I'm freer now than when I came in those doors this morning. I am free indeed. My headache is gone. I have the liberty of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit indwelling in me. This is the freedom. Tell you what, I clearly, I'm healed in Jesus' name. I know it. I can feel it. Ah, and I'm hungry. I'm ready to go eat a nice big lunch somewhere. I'm feeling it. Wow. I just had a vision. Race horses. You can hang out in a pasture. But when it's time to race, don't hang out in the pasture. But let the rider get on. Let the bridle come in. Stand in the gates and be ready. I want to honor Richard and Elizabeth. They're part of the board of directors from the church uh, in Victory Hope Church in Olympia, 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 Washington. They're up visiting. Pastor. race gates. How many of you have ever seen a thoroughbred horse race? I've actually been to them live. It was amazing in North Carolina. 
the energy of those horses, the power. One of my friends owned one of the racehorses, so I was right there beside this animal that was like, like he, when he came out of the pasture and he got ready to get racing, he changed his attitude. And they had to walk that horse around. I was part of it. They would walk him around just so they could get the rider, the jockey, on him. And then when the jockey got on him, another horse and rider were there holding it. And that horse was It was ready to run, but the other horse and rider were holding it back. And they would walk around and walk around to settle that racehorse so it could get into a starting gate because thoroughbred racehorses they actually don't like to go in to a confined gate and some horses never make it back in the gate and they'll wait for a certain length of time but if that horse refuses to go in they will not race that race listen to what I'm saying Humility bridled strength. I see a bunch of racehorses. And you know who the jockey is. His name is Jesus Christ. And maybe I'm one of the ones, the pastors of Windward that are walking you around, slowing you down ever so slightly just so you could run faster when the time is right. Because we all know in the horse racing industry that any horse that runs full speed from the start won't make the end of the race. And that jockey, when that gate goes, and the horse, it's called one horsepower. But if you've been on a fast horse, it's a powerful moment. And that horse takes off, and you see those jockeys, they're pulling. They're not, giddy up, give them all the rain, no. They're pulling them, holding them, holding them. And as they get a quarter, quarter furlong, and they start making the way around, you see him starting to release those reins, and he's getting into the rhythm. And he starts, sometimes he gives them a smack. We call it a love tap. Some of us need a love tap once in a while. Get going! Now, and when he's three quarters of the way through, those reins are almost completely released. And he is in his stance and he is going, he is going. And the jockey and the horse become one. And those are the ones that win the races. When we become this one with Jesus, we feel his motion on us and in us. I guarantee you, you win the race. We bless, Father. We bless everybody in this house. And we thank you. For your kingdom has come. 
and your will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. And we give this day our daily bread. And we forgive the ones. And we forgive the ones that have trespassed against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the authority.